I don't really know how to start shows. Come on now, don't start, don't start liking me now. So yeah, I'm funny compared to you. Know, well, you'll see later. I stand for mayhem. I know a lot of fucking idiots. I think a lot of shit is mean spirited just because it goes against what they believe. But the relief of comedy is it takes things that aren't funny and it allows us to laugh about them for an hour. We got a purple suit to buy and a gigantic coffin. Why are you laughing? Evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Why You Laughing, a history of comedy podcast. And today, I am pleased to introduce to you Bill Hicks, probably the most requested episode that we've had. Easily. And he's a guy, I always say, ah, this guy is overrated or underrated. We talk about a lot of underrated guys. I feel like Bill Hicks is a rare guy that now, years after his death, is pretty properly rated because uh, I think he has a lot of respect among people who are really into comedy and really know it. And I think that's all he ever wanted. I think he wanted to kind of remain on the fringes. He was never supposed to be mainstream and he's not. If you ask the average person, uh, they probably don't know who Bill Hicks is or have some, you know, vague idea of who he was. So he's a rare guy that I think kind of wound up being properly rated. Cause when a lot of guys, when they die young, uh, the reason we know them, like when we bro- broke down Freddie Prinze, I think the reason we still know Freddie Prince's name today is because he died young. You know, his material was not cutting edge or anything. Whereas uh, with Bill Hicks, I don't think it's the case. I think he kind of, you know, earned everything that was attributed to his name, but we'll get into it. But first I want to tell you guys, go to blindmike.net for goodness sake. Uh, that's where you can find the Patreon link as well as our merch. Or if you just want to support the show for free, you can do that. Apple, Spotify. Who knows if you'll hear it on Spotify? Where you're rolling the dice, but we'll, we'll try. And uh, YouTube as well. Get those YouTube numbers up. Uh, you know, five star reviews and subscribing and all of that help the algorithm supposedly. And uh, if you do want to join the Patreon, just know you got bonus episodes, baby. Uh, the latest one is the Pelican Brief, Howard Stern's meeting, and Carl from Who Are These Podcast joins me, me and Craig. For that episode, it was a fun one. Also, uh, Joe Matarese. We're going to do a bunch of uh, weird episodes like that. So if you want to get on the Patreon, please do. There will be a bunch of Why You Laughing content. Uh, And I'm doing like mini episodes. Like I I reviewed uh, Santino's special the other day. And I plan on reviewing every big special that comes out this year. So uh, if that appeals to you at all, like if you liked the uh, end of the year episode, then uh, get on the Patreon. All right. Uh, yeah, Craig was saying to me before the show, uh, you're not too familiar with Bill Hicks. And I think that's fairly common. I think even people, you know, like I'll go back and listen to a lot of guys and I know, you know, the sort of the, the legacy of Bill Hicks and what he's all about, but I didn't know a ton of his material before going through a lot of it for this show. So I guess in that way, you could say he's underrated. But if you look at his career and his material, I think he's a guy who wanted to remain on the fringes. And I think if you're talking influence, he's clearly cut from the same mold. I think he even says in one of the interviews we play, uh, Mort Saul and Lenny Bruce, he's cut from that mold. And every generation before him kind of had a Bill Hicks. And I was trying to think of who this generation's would be. And I was like, well, maybe the line is stopped. Because Doug Stanhope would be the closest we have to a Bill Hicks right now, I think. Yeah, but I don't. Even, he might be too old to be like this generation. That's what I'm saying. Like, but younger than Stanhope, I don't know who it would be. So you know, let me know on uh, Twitter or something. Throw some ideas out. Tim Dillon, maybe, but not really. Kind of. Uh, he he tackles the same sort types of, of issues. Yeah, but he doesn't have. It doesn't feel the same. Like he's not like out to get the man or something, you know? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's a very, very, I mean, there's a cynical side to all the guys we'll probably mention today, but there's an ultra cynical side to Bill Hicks and, uh, you see, you know, borderline conspiratorial, not Alex Jones level, which who knows, they might be the same guy supposedly. <laughs> uh, but I, I see a lot of similarities to Kinnison and we'll get into why in a few minutes. Uh, but we'll start with kind of his early life. He grew up a religious as most people did in Texas in uh, back in the day. And uh, so he came from a very religious family. Um, and they, it seemed like he had a decent relationship with his parents, but they were kind of adversarial because he would argue with his father about religion and things. 
And he would tell stories of how his mother um, would basically deny, like he would be on stage telling these stories and she'd be like, Oh, you never did that. You never did that. Like she would, she was in denial that her son wasn't a, a good Christian boy. Right. So uh, let's get, let's get Let's get into the clips here. You were doing a comedy at the age of uh, 13. Right. Right. You, right. What was your material then? Cause your stuff like for on here, it says parental advisory, explicit lyrics. Were you, were you telling what kind of jokes when you were 13? Well, when I was 13 years old, uh, I was uh, really influenced by Woody Allen, and I would do material like him just to get into, be able to perform. And uh, I would do material like that. You know, I remember the first joke I wrote, in fact, was uh, about my girlfriend leaving me because I got sexy with her, you know, and I said I blew into her ear and her head expanded and she floated away. It's like that, you know, <laughs> cute and... Uh, that lasted a little while before I found me relentless dangerous. That's a relentless dangerous kind of thing. And you also, when you would go off to the clubs, you would sneak out of the, the window because your parents disapproved? Oh, sure. Yeah, well, I was 15 years old, and uh, the idea of going to a nightclub downtown on a school night, they didn't, it wasn't they didn't, they didn't want to sign that note. <laughs> Please let Bill go to the nightclub and hang with nefarious characters. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. But uh, yeah, I would uh, I'd go up to do homework, right, and uh, and then I'd go down uh, out the window, down the uh, over the garage, down the gutter, and my friend would be out in the back with a car, and we'd go downtown. It's getting back in. That was a little hairy. Did they ever catch her? Never did. They they still to this day insist that that didn't happen, but they're in major denial. They pretty crazy. You'll hear guys like uh, Chappelle and Chris Rock talk about going on stage. Pete Davidson uh, would get on stage when they were like 16, 17, something like that, which is extremely young, obviously. But 13, it's hard to pretend at 13 that you belong in a fucking nightclub, you know? <laughs> yeah, imagine that voice going up to like a cocktail waitress. It's hard to pass, <laughs> and it does give you some insight. And listen, I don't know. And like he said, maybe he was just doing Woody Allen material there. Who knows? But it gives you a little insight into the kind of introspective, deep guy that Bill Hicks was, the fact that he was able to do some semblance of an act at age 13. Again, I'm sure it wasn't great, but the fact that he was able to get up and do that and just even have that confidence, I think it tells you a lot about the type of guy he was. Yeah, like, you ever break a G.I. Joe? Like, like what's, <laughs> what the hell is he talking about? It's all little kid material. Yeah. yeah. That's what He's like doing a Def Jam set about his toys. <laughs> Big teachers out to get us. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I we have a, some clips here of his stand-up. I tried to add a little more of his stand-up than I do for a lot of guys, just because I feel like maybe some people haven't heard it. Um, so rather than interview clips, we have uh, clips from his stand-up of him talking about his family. I never got along with my dad, man. When I was a kid, other kids would come up to me, my dad can beat up your dad. I go win. <laughs> he cuts the lawn on Saturdays. <laughs> Nail him out there. When he's got those Bermuda shorts, red tennis shoes, and sock garters on. <laughs> go pop him in the head with a rake. His his inflection there and just like that pop him in the head with a rake. It seems like such an odd thing to throw in there. Yeah. And that's where you see like Nick DiPaolo cites him as a big influence. Yeah. Which, you know, politically you wouldn't think that necessarily. Uh, but you can tell just the way he taught you like, oh, yeah, I that, I totally get it. Like just a weird word choices and inflections DePaulo uses. Uh, there's a little Hicks in there for sure. Yeah, we were just. I was. It, I don't know if it was why you laughing or blind Mike project, but we were just basically talking about DePaulo's uh, word choice the other day. Yeah, um, d- definitely. And what you'll hear in these earlier mm. clips where he's talking about his family, like there's definitely a shift as Hicks got. I mean, I'll use the phrase older. He died when he was 32, but as he got more, you know, established in comedy, there's definitely a shift from him being more observational and talking about his life and kind of shifting and then talking about, you know, the man and <laughs> things in a more uh, grand scheme, you know? Yeah. Uh, but like, I, I like him. I like his stand up more than I thought I would, 
because, you know, not knowing a lot of Hicks material until I'm in my thirties, I figured maybe it wouldn't hold up or anything. There's a lot of shit where, you know, Carlin gets a lot of credit for this where people will uh, play his clips. There's a lot of shit where it's like, wow, this really holds up, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's almost like he's talking about things going on today. Yeah. Current events. Yeah. And that another, another influence of his, I would say would be Colin Quinn. Like when you hear Colin Quinn break down politics and things that are going on right now, um, I noticed that when I watch old episodes of tough crowd where it's the same type of thing where you're like, wow, the way Colin Quinn's breaking down this issue of, you know, some writer getting canceled or whatever, you realize two things, a, our problems are still exactly the same, but B like that type of material from minds like that, hold up guys like, and that's why I put Stanhope in that category, but Colin Quinn, Kinnison, Bill Hicks, Carlin, uh, Lenny Bruce, not so much. But that's a hundred years ago, almost. You know, right? Uh, so, guy, guys ranting like that about society and having the kind of foresight that they do, I think manages to hold up a lot better uh, than some other things you would hear in the '80s and early '90s. Uh, we have another stand-up clip, right? Yep. Uh, it's more talking about his family. What's here? Oh boy. Remember summer vacations with your folks? Did anybody get the concept behind that? We did not get along together in a five bedroom house. Dad's idea was to put all of us in a car and drive through the desert in the hottest time of the year. Good call, Dad. Let's confront our tensions. Remember that was stressful. They weren't fun. We weren't vacating. It wasn't leisure. We're gonna get up at 2 a.m. I won't be on the road by 2.05. We don't have time to stop at restrooms. We're passing Dixie Cups around the car. We're going to drive for 14-hour stretches in no direction whatsoever. The sun will always be shining through your window, Bill. Figure that out. (laughs) I have seen the sun take turns with our car before to beam through my window. I'm in the back seat like an ant under a magnifying glass. Dad, turn the air conditioning on, please. Nope, it eats up gas. Then, Dad, you take my college money and you turn that goddamn AC on, buddy. I'm not going to be a sunstroke mongoloid so you can save two cents a fucking mile. You know what I heard in there too, oddly, is a little Regan. The imagery of saying, I've seen the sun take turns yep. to stay on me. Like, that's a Regan type imagery. And the I, I just keep naming guys that I think either uh, Hicks influenced or uh, got influenced from. Because I think the, you know, the vast difference in comedians that I'm naming show you the level of impact that he had. Like you don't necessarily think of Hicks, you know, Hedberg's a name that gets mentioned as a lot of people copied him, Uh, even Regan. Also, a lot of people kind of copied him or at least had his voice. You don't necessarily think of Bill Hicks in that way, but he definitely did clearly. Like when you're listening to his act, it's very clear. Now, some uh, word for word, you can see influence, which we'll get into later, but uh, yeah, I think the imp- the influence is clear. And even like Gaffigan, you hear a little Gaffigan in there. Mm-hmm. Why is dad always in a bad mood? Like <laughs> just talking about his family and shit. <laughs> so you wouldn't think guys like Regan and Gaffin- Gaffigan could fall under the umbrella of uh, Hicks babies, but they yeah. kind of do in a way. It was so funny though. Um, I took my kids to Disney World uh, a couple years ago, and that was the only thing I was thinking about the whole time was Gaffigan's bit about why is dad always in a bad mood because <laughs> it is fucking miserable. Well, it's good. And next episode, we'll get more into Craig's family life, but yeah, uh, yeah. what's the next clip? Uh, this is uh, LSD. Yeah. So if, uh, if you ever listened to an episode of Rogan, you know, that's another huge uh, influence that Bill Hicks had. And this is an example. I've heard Rogan reference this joke 10 million times. So I figured uh, I might, th- might as well throw it in because it is a great joke. I'd like to see a positive LSD story. Would that be newsworthy? Just once? 
Today, a young man on acid realized that all matter is merely energy condensed to a slower vibration, that we are all one consciousness experiencing itself subjectively. There's no such thing as death. Life is only a dream, and you're the imagination of yourselves. Here's Tom with the weather. <laughs> It is, it, you know, it's funny too, is you'll see, we'll talk about the Texas Outlaw comics and you see a lot of uh, Kinnison there too, like kind of them rubbing off on each other. Like that's very similar to the Kinnison set on Letterman that we played where he comes out and screams and is basically being a preacher and then ends it with, I'm not that guy. You know, it, it felt a lot like that. You know who this, I can see getting a lot from this is um, um, Ron White. Sounds a lot like him in his delivery. Sure, a lot of that's Texas too, but yeah, yeah. Ron White. I've uh, Ron White did say that like of those guys in that crew in in Texas when Ron White was coming up, the one guy that was nice to him was Bill Hicks. So yeah, you're definitely right about that. It just did the cadence there. I could hear it. Yeah, in in <clears throat> when we played that interview clip earlier, when he did like the imitation of someone, like his voice got a little deeper. Yeah, it sounded a lot like Ron. Yeah, White. yeah, exactly. All right. The next clip is the uh, Texas Outlaw comics. Yeah, so we may have played this clip I think in the Kinnison episode. I think we did. I feel like it's worth revisiting, though, you know? Yeah, definitely. Because I just think this is a... Uh, it sets up a lot of what these two guys did. And it's interesting to hear him talk about the Texas Outlaw comics because it sounds a lot like the old Comedy Cellar days mm -hmm. to where even, like, you know, he'll talk about them and he'll throw in, like, one guy referenced him as a hack, like one of his buddies, <laughs> you know? So it seemed like a ball busty type of place, you know, 10 years before the comedy seller got popular and the comedy store didn't have, have that same vibe by all accounts. So I think that this is where you got a lot of that in comedy, a lot of that darkness and edge uh, that you saw later in the nineties. So they kicked Sam out. They kicked Sam out over and over and over again. Yeah. And, uh, Finally, to uh, reach the point where Sam went across the street and crucified himself on a stop-and-go sign with diapers and a crucifix and ketchup for blood. Greenlee, I heard, called the police. I never knew Greenlee was such a concerned citizen about stop-and-go property. <laughs> and the tensions rose until finally... This is all one night, basically. This is, oh, this is Sam's first night. This is Sam's first night here. I don't remember what night. Okay. But this was the night he, he and Moore had a squabble and he broke Moore's leg or something? No, this is later. This is when they he went back, he broke a bar stool, got kicked out for two weeks. Something else happened, they kicked him out forever. Forever? Forever. He's been back there. And man. Sam, <laughs> yeah, he has been back. And uh, Sam did not take that well. And went up and broke Moore's leg. <laughs> so that pretty much cemented the forever, at least for now. <laughs> there's an element of, uh, like, as fans of comedy, it's like, yeah, you know, don't back down to the man, you know, stick up for your art. But then there's also the element of you putting yourself in the perspective of the club owner, where it's like, come on, fellas, please. <laughs> Stop it, please. And enough. Could you imagine trying to wrangle in Sam Kinison? Especially back then, but mm. it, I don't think Hicks was that different. Well, I think Hicks was a little less crazy and probably easier to deal with. And Hicks had a period of time where he wasn't doing, where he was clean and sober. Um, so he may have been a little easier to deal with, but the interesting thing about those guys, both of them, and maybe eventually money would have changed this. Like had they both lived, you know, they could both easily be alive now. If they were both still alive today, uh, money would probably have an impact in their decision-making a little more because they were both getting to the point where they would play theaters or in Kinison's case, probably eventually arenas, um, I don't know if he ever played arenas while he was alive, but he certainly would be now, I would think. Um, so I don't know. I wonder how much those guys would have changed, but at least while they were alive, they seemed very set in their principles, and they seemed like two guys that were genuine. They practiced what they preached. It wasn't bullshit when they said they wanted to do their material, didn't want to be censored, uh, didn't want to have it tampered with in any way, didn't want to let 
people tell them what to say. They were truly genuine about that in a way that I think a lot of guys fall short. Definitely. And I, I, I mean, they were, they were des- not, maybe not Hicks, but Kinnison was destined to die young, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And when I say they, they lived up to their, you know, uh, they put their money where their mouth is for lack of a less corny term, but I, I like sometimes to their detriment, I think. And sometimes, like I said, in a, a point where like, if you, you're the guy that has to deal with them, kind of an exhausting fashion, mm. you know, like watching an artist like Bill Hicks, I think you're like, wow, he's really, you know, he's an interesting guy. Uh, he has an interesting take on life. Uh, but I think if he was a guy you had to deal with every day, you'd be like, all right, Bill, we got it. Nothing's like it seems. We understand. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, so that that's the interesting thing. It's like there's a very fine line between uh, comedic genius and someone who's just ranting at you on the subway. You know what I mean? You have to not let it drive you crazy, and you have to be able to hone that into a way that, like, attracts an audience so you don't just drive yourself fucking nuts, you know? Um, This next clip we got is England. He was... So he was huge in England. Um, So we'll hear a bit of uh, him talk about why, and then we'll get a little more into it. Now, where you said, I've, I've read somewhere as well that like, you seem to like the British more than the Americans. So you're kind of like a traitor, the Benedict Arnold of comedy. Uh, well, uh, I am kind of getting to be an Anglophile and to a degree, but I think the fact is you guys share a bemusement of America, which a lot of Americans don't share about themselves. So, uh, yeah, I like coming over here a lot. You guys have a whole different thing going, you know. Uh, I came over here the day the L.A. riots occurred. That was incredible. And people here were trying to sympathize. Oh, Bill, crime is horrible. It's horrible here, too. (laughs) Shut up. You should have come over in the summer for the riots over here. Yeah, I I read your crime. I read stuff in the paper like, Yesterday, some hooligans knocked over a dustbin in Shaftesbury. (laughs) (laughs) What if they become ruffians? Doesn't sound, you know, hooligan just doesn't sound like Cripper blood. <laughs> <laughs> you hear again, you hear that DePaulo anger too coming oh, through. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. But so he was uh, big in England, obviously. And another reason for that, you know, like he says uh, he could make fun of America a lot more there than he could here. But another point he made in a different interview was he goes, well, in, Lo- in London, I play theaters here. I'm playing the laugh stop this weekend. So, <laughs> so that was probably part of it as well. But um, and it's also not really fair to be like, Hey, I can make fun of a country in a place where this is a foreign country as opposed to home. You know what I mean? Like, of course you're going to get less angry mail or less complaints after shows because, but if you made fun of England, I'm sure you would start getting shit there, you know? Yeah, I just, I also just love that he was like, no, I read your crime. (laughs) (laughs) Hooligans. Yeah, but he was, he was big time in England. Um, But he was, he was big here too, because you forget just because he was playing, you know, smaller comedy clubs, stand up wasn't in the 80s and 90s what it is now. And if Bill Hicks lived in a time where he had a podcast, he'd be a monster, mm-hmm. you know, whether, whether or not we, maybe we wouldn't listen to him, but he would have a huge audience because I mean, look at the people doing a extreme version of what Bill Hicks was doing in the nineties in podcast form. And Alex Jones is one of those guys. Are you familiar with the Alex Jones conspiracy, by the way? Uh, that Bill Hicks is Alex Jones. <laughs> Oh, no, but that's great. <laughs> yeah. Some people believe that uh, Bill Hicks didn't actually die. He just turned into Alex Jones. <laughs> that would be unreal. He just stopped doing his favorite thing. <laughs> yeah. But that's the thing I think about Bill Hicks is he wasn't uh, he wasn't an extremist in any way. You know, I don't know that you can nail him down in any one political. I think people refer to him as like a liberal or a Democrat, but I don't know that you can nail him down to one political party. Mm. So he would be what a lot of these guys are kind of pretending to be in a more genuine way, more like Rogan. I think that's where the Rogan influence does kind of shine through where he can have discussions like that. Like I think Bill Hicks could have had discussions about either Trump or Biden and not get emotional in the way like Mark Marin would, 
you know? Right. I think um, also, like, if, say, he had a podcast, that's where you'd see the most similarities between him and Tim Dillon. Yeah. Yeah. And they, he would just get into topics like that, I think. Mm-hmm. We, but to be doing that 30 years before everyone, again, I think says a lot about how innovative Hicks was and how ahead of the curve he was. Like, now yeah. it's popular to do Now it's not dangerous to come out and have a podcast like that. You know what I mean? Like you might get taken off of Twitter or something, but if you find an audience, they're going to stay with you. Uh, whereas I think in the early nineties, that was more dangerous because your only outlet was getting on television or getting on radio or whatever. And if those stations wouldn't have you, you couldn't promote your shit. Right. Exactly. You know? So if you were a guy that was too dangerous for mainstream media, now you have other options. Back then you didn't. So back then it really meant something to be that dangerous as uh, his uh, his album was called Dangerous and Relentless were his two uh, biggest specials. And he said uh, in, I think, like an interview on like MTV or something, he said, um, they go, you know, Michael Jackson has an album called Dangerous. And he goes, yeah, if you listen to me and listen to Michael Jackson, who do you think is more dangerous? But I don't know if Bill saw what was coming with uh, Michael in the next few years. <laughs> that was also back in the day, too, when you can name specials like that and you wouldn't get shit on. <laughs> right. Oh, that's, yeah, that's a good point. Now it would be like, ooh, he's dangerous. Ooh, I can't wait to have <laughs> Oh, this guy is crazy. <laughs> My mind's going to get rocked. <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> Uh, next, we got um, uh, Sam Morrill on Rogan. Yeah, so I wanted to throw this in just because it's mostly Morrill talking rather than Rogan. I just uh, find it interesting. And this gives a little better perspective than I'm able to articulate it into the kind of influence he had on today's generation. I mean, Bill Hicks is, he's like the biggie smalls of comedy. Mm. Because the amount of work he did, it's gold. And he died so fucking young. He had like mm-hmm. five albums, dude. I think he died at like 34 or something like something that. Something like that. Pancreatic cancer. Yeah. And you re-listen to those albums, dude. Those albums, whenever comics call Bill Hicks overrated, I'm like, you're a fucking idiot. Bill yeah. Hicks is great. And he, and you know what's great about Bill Hicks? So many comics now with his ideology would only perform in like SF and Portland and Burlington, Vermont. That dude's doing, he's taking that act to Alabama. That's fucking cool. Yeah. That's why he's bombing. So he did the road constantly. Oh, dude, the Flying Saucer tour. Yeah. When you're yeah. like, he's those albums. I'm dying laughing. Yeah. to. you're listening to one of the greatest comics of all time bombing, and he released this for us. <laughs> he's fucking bombing. He's he's calling the crowd dumb. Yeah, and it's not like just some comic who's. It's a great comic calling yeah. crowds dumb. There's something beautiful about that. He's so fucking angry on stage, but it was like beautiful anger. It yeah. was earned anger. Well, I I just thought that was a very good description of him, and I think it's a great point. That like, hey, you know, Pat Oswalt and Mark Marin, and I'm sure there are better examples out there, but those are just the two that come to mind um, as being, you know, uh, preachers of the left <laughs> of, that, of that ideology. That's great that you get that message out there, but they'll do it to their crowd. They'll do it in alt rooms. I mean, they're also big enough names that they're selling tickets to their people, but they're not doing it in places where they're going to get a lot of pushback. And Bill Hicks was. And I think that kind of goes to the point, like I was saying before, like it was more dangerous um, to do the type of material he was doing in 1991 versus present day. And I think the reason you hear overrated, because you will hear people say, like, I think Bill Hicks is overrated. And that's hard to say, A, because he's not like a household name. He's not some name that every wall, Bill Hicks is on every top 10. Now, he wasn't a lot of lists like Rolling Stone had him ranked very high. And a lot of the British papers that would do, you know, all time comic rankings would have Bill Hicks pretty high. Um, So he was in that discussion. But if you talk to the average person, they're not like, oh, Bill Hicks is the greatest comic ever. But yet you will still hear people call him overrated. And I think it's because the type of material he's doing you can't just pick it up. It's hard to find just a random bit. Although I guess we've done it here. Like there are a few bits that have made me laugh. Um, But some of that like real uh, political stuff, it's like, uh, it it, it turns a lot of people off. Right. So the people that it turns off, they're like, ah, he's overrated. I didn't find him funny, but that's not really a fair assessment. You know what I mean? Yeah. A lot of comics, 
I mean, now it now he would be a a mega star because that's all people want. It like not people, I guess. Real comedy fans don't want to, but like the, the yeah. The Portlands. He, he, this is the thing about Hicks, and I think it's true of Kinnison also. I think they would hate that. I think that I think Bill Hicks would have changed in today's climate. Yeah, because what he was doing then would be so accepted now that I think he, in some way, would have taken kind of the opposite stance. You know. Yeah, that's actually a good point. Good point. Uh, because I think he wanted to be on the fringe, and like I said. Uh, that changes a lot with people, you know, uh, you see people that when they're young push a lot of boundaries and then as they get a friend, they become friends with famous Howard Stern. They become friends with famous people and they kind of like that a little more and they like that the money's coming in. So they say things that will be more accepted. Uh, next we have censored on Letterman. So this was a big thing. You can tell it really bothered him. It bugged the shit out of him. It really, it really did because you could tell he was a guy that really respected Letterman. Yes. Um, so first we have the interview, yes? Yep. This is him talking about it? Yep. Yeah, so he sets up what happened uh, pretty well. I have it this one because it was recently on the David Letterman show on October 9th that I did the show, taped the show at 5.30 in New York, and then at 7 p.m. was called by the producer and told that uh, I would be excised completely from the show. I, of course, asked why. The material had been approved and reapproved by the producers. And they said that CBS had deemed the material, these are quotation marks, unsuitable for the viewing public and for the Letterman audience. And I made the point that when I'm not on the show, I'm a member of the Letterman audience. So ultimately what you're saying is my material is not suitable for me. What a predicament. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I was censored from the show and I kind of think there's not a, you know, there's a little pride in that. I mean, a lot of people have been bleeped and burped and, uh, but actually what happened was I did some material about uh, the pro-life people. And the joke I did was very simple. All I said was, if you're so pro-life, do me a favor. Don't lock arms and block medical clinics. Lock arms and block cemeteries. Let's see how committed you are to this premise. It could even be construed as pro-pro-life if you wanted to make that argument. Yeah. Anyway, they counted that as one of the quote-unquote hot points that I touched on. Here's the punchline. Monday night during the Letterman show, a commercial airs for pro-life. <laughs> and that's the shit that you could tell really bugged Hicks mm -hmm. is being commercial. And we'll play some more stuff where you can tell he really, ha he hated it to a point where even I, a guy who likes that type of shit, even I'll go like, all right, Bill, <laughs> take, take it easy. You know, like, he he really hated the industry and any sort of commercialism, and that that's where you start to get start to get into an inherent hypocrisy with any performer. Um, not even not saying Bill Hicks himself is a hypocrite, but just saying like, okay, if you you know thwart off all commercialism in any sense, well then can you promote your gigs on regular radio because they have ads? You know what I mean? Like, how deep do you go down that? rabbit hole how how true do you stay to those beliefs because at some point if you want to get people in the club you're gonna to have to promote somewhere you know exactly so it's it's tough to really hear but i like him sticking to his guns and kind of shitting on letterman we'll play a little more from that i just thought this interview was very good uh so we have more more clips from this interview and if you want to this is just a random like overnight hmm. tv show that he did uh, that took calls. It was like local to Houston or the Houston area. Um, and they would take calls and it gives you kind of a feel of what a Bill Hicks podcast might've been like. Cause it was on at like two in the morning. I do like though, that it had, the phone number to call in was just four, seven, two call. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how local the show was. Yeah. You didn't need an area code. Exactly. Uh, that, that almost makes me feel like I, I grabbed a clip from a fake show. <laughs> oh, four seven two call. <laughs> yeah, yes, it's like calling a restaurant. It's like it's like oh yeah five 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 seven eat. 
So what was uh what what else was he talking about here? Uh this one we got not much has changed is what's labeled. So this is interesting. It's interesting to hear him uh go on this rant here because you're like, wow, that's <laughs> I mean you want to talk about holding up. This I could have pulled a clip from nine million podcasts where someone's saying this today. <laughs> You know, there's a lot, you know, for, for instance, let me just give you an example. See, what they do is they kowtow to a minority that's very vocal. Reasonable people don't write letters. Reasonable people have lives. <laughs> Reasonable people know it's just a joke. Reasonable people uh, know it's just TV. They know they can change the channel or they'll wait and something else will come on. Sure. Um, see, reasonable people don't get it active. It's these minorities, these fundamentalists who are totally organized, and they are a minority, and who are the ones trying to uh, set this agenda for America? And uh, I mean, and believe me, I'm aware that I'm guilty of it. But <laughs> yeah. how many podcasts now do you hear? Well, it, it they they're caving into the minority, the loud people on Twitter, and it's funny to hear. Like we'll say, uh, cancel culture is kind of a new thing. Like I point to you know, the early 2010s, a lot that kind of area. You could even say somewhere in the early 2000s, but then you'll go back. And like I said, you'll watch old episodes of tough crowd. You'll hear Bill Hicks complain here. There's other clips, um, you know, from the eighties and nineties that we've played in the past where it's like, Oh, people have always been bitching. The problem is now it's such a, you have a, such a direct line to people that you can bitch at. Right. You know what I mean? Whereas back in the day, if you wrote a letter, it would probably never get to them. They'd never hear about uh, it. Yeah. The reference I hear Kumia use all the time is uh, if you wrote Clark Gable back in the day, the the channels you would have to go through to get that letter to him. And then you weren't never even sure if he got it. Right. (laughs) You know? So, uh, but, but now it's like, just throw a tweet at someone and they see it. No, but even, so like even back then, like say you're Hicks and I'm your manager. I'm going to yeah. get one of those letters and then just throw it in the trash. Throw it away. He'll never see it. Right. Yeah. And if you're CBS, that probably happened a lot too, where the head of CBS uh, wasn't getting uh, those letters necessarily at the time. Now they see it because it's just on Twitter and maybe it happens to be trending that day. Hashtag cancel whoever. <laughs> and you know, that company's like, Hey, we might as well not do business with them. Like I've heard, comedians talk a lot about this is different than cancel culture or anything, but like um, when any comedian, I'm trying to think of the most recent one. um, But let's say when Bob Saget died uh, comedians, and maybe they never even had a relationship with Bob Saget, but they'll get tweets like, why haven't you reacted to Bob Saget yet? (laughs) What's your stance on Bob Saget? They're like, I didn't even know the guy. What am I supposed to put out? Like RIP or something? So, well, Nikki Glazer kind of messed it up for everyone. And that was my fault. I messaged Nikki Glazer and I was like, why haven't you reacted to this? And then she put out a beautiful song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the, the way corporations react to that is much more sensitive. They worry about everything. I mean, Family Guy has the joke, um, uh, the FCC episode they did. Uh, I forget exactly what it is, but it's basically uh, we got 10 letters about this and every letter is a thousand people. So 10,000 people are furious about this. <laughs> and it's like, that's how corporations look at that a lot is like, oh, well, if a few people are angry, God knows how many didn't reach out to us. They're going to stop buying our product. So I guess the issue is it's always been that way, but now you're just hearing from them more, more often. And Bill Hicks was aware of that 30 years ago. Yep, and uh, here he is talking about the mainstream media some more. All right. There are venues and there are avenues, but they are not going to be mainstream. But that's why I love public access. That's why uh, England has opened up for me, and HBO was nice enough not to edit anything except due to time constraints. And uh, I think there's a change coming up, man. They can't, you can't put out puerile crap 24 hours because eventually there's going to be chaos in the streets. Which there already is. Yeah. Because people are frustrated not having their voice of reason confirmed. And everyone has that voice of reason that goes, this is bull, man. What I'm watching is bull. And yet, the media does not confirm it. So after a while, people get, begin to think they're insane. 
And that's the bummer about it. But that's why I love non-mainstream stuff, because you actually hear honest emotions. And that's what you won't hear on mainstream TV ever, is honest emotions. Well, I think, you know, the... I think that's pretty prophetic. And I think that's what I think he was so spot on that that's why you have a lot of these nuts like Alex Jones and all these conspiracy podcasts and things like that. And it's why you have people complaining, oh, there's, you know, misinformation going around on all these podcasts. And it's like, well, that's because people are so fed up with the news and just accepting the bullshit that they throw out there that they'll go and do their podcast. And maybe some of that is also horseshit. So at the end of the day, no one's going to get everything right. But I think there is, that's the reason uh, you've seen this surge in podcasting that some people will panic and say, well, it's not true. They're believing the wrong things. And it's like, well, that's because the media made us believe horseshit forever. And people just got tired of it. So I think that's such a good way to put it. I think it was so insightful because he was, spot on about how things would go. Like eventually, yeah, people got fed up with the mainstream media. He would have flipped out during COVID. Oh my God. Yeah, exactly. And that's one that that's uh, they've, the mainstream media has done so much for podcasting because by, by the way, you just got us a warning on Spotify. (laughs) (laughs) I never realized until a couple weeks ago, if you just say that word, they'll put the little blue label on your podcast. Oh, really? Yeah. So again, to Hicks's point, um, that's why stuff is like that is out there um, because you could watch whether it's CNN or Fox and see just the horseshit that they want you to see. So you're looking for other outlets. And that's why, again, why I think Bill Hicks would have been uh, pretty great for this generation. I would love to see him, but you know. well, maybe we will. Maybe we'll make a comeback someday. Who knows? Maybe Alex Jones will lose weight and become Bill Hicks again. <laughs> he, uh, by the way, this interview was done uh, towards the end of his life. Like I said, he only lived to thirty-two. I was again. G- we fact we fact check Rogan. He's spreading disinformation. Rogan said he was thirty-four. He was only thirty-two when he died. I was going to say, um, looking at him in that interview, he looked pretty frail. Yeah, so no one knew it, but he was going through chemotherapy at this time. Right. Um, he had pancreatic cancer, That's which is a real such a friggin'. Even today, I think it's a death sentence, more or less. Yeah, but at that age, too, on top of it, it's like, god damn. Um, Yeah, so he was dealing with that, which probably added to his angst and bitterness, I would think. Uh, But Letterman, no one knew that at the time. Um, I don't know. I'd be curious. It was hard to figure out a timeline. I don't know if anyone knew while he was alive that he was dying. He might have gone out like uh, Norm, but. Yeah, maybe. Um, next we have Letterman apologizing. Yeah. So this was interesting. It's weird to watch Letterman here. Cause I love Letterman so much, but then when you have that spin put on him that Hicks here did here where he was really calling him out for, you know, um, Letterman was known as this guy who didn't give a fuck about the industry and he was quirky and weird. and He was doing things that you're not necessarily supposed to do on television. Um, and then when you hear Hicks talk about him, it's like, oh, maybe he's not really that guy. And then when you hear this segment that he did, it's a little weird because it feels like he's being more Hollywood than I remember Letterman being. And a lot of people will say at the end, Letterman was very Hollywood. Uh, I mean, look, that's the weird thing about Letterman is like he was the anti-Hollywood guy forever, and now he literally does interviews on Netflix with Kim Kardashian unironically. <laughs> and that, I mean, that's nothing against Kim Kardashian, but who stands for Hollywood more than her, you know? But he he probably got paid an insane amount of money to just go talk to this person for 45 oh, minutes. That, well, that's exactly what I'm talking about with Hicks and Kinnison. Whereas if they live for another 30 years... If someone threw enough money at them, I wonder if they would have abandoned some of the morals that they had. <laughs> what would have been their breaking point? I don't. I think Hicks wouldn't have, but I think uh, Kinnison would have caved. It's tough. It's tough. It's tough because they're both guys that could have made a living on stand up alone, and I don't know that any network ever would have hired them. But you know what, Hicks would have been good at. I think is a weird late night show. Kind of like Dennis Miller. He was friends with Dennis Miller, and you can see a lot of similarities for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, like when you see that Dennis Miller show on HBO, 
Hicks could have something like that, I think. Or something like the Chris Rock show, you know? Yeah, yeah. Where it was a late night talk show, technically, but he could do his own thing. But he could have also, I could have seen him doing maybe not the same uh, material, but like the same concept of Bill Maher or something. Bill Maher, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, in fact, I would almost say Bill Maher had the career that Bill Hicks might have if he lived. That's, that's, uh, yeah, maybe. That's, you know, bad. I don't know Bill Maher's stand up material enough to be like, oh, it's similar or different. Mm hmm. But that's the t- if Bill Hicks lived long enough, that's the type of career I have him seeing is like Bill Maher, where it is, and that's I think it's a perfect example because Bill Maher was the furthest left guy you could imagine for so long, and then society shifted, but Bill Maher didn't change, so now he's considered, well, I don't like, but you know, basically a MAGA guy or something. I don't know what he's considered <laughs> well, now. But. I know, uh, I know the COVID. The COVID time period really messed with him because he said he, um, I think, I forget where he did that interview, but uh, he said it might have actually been his own show, but basically he saw what some people were on the left were doing and was like, that's what I'm associated with. So he right. kind of, he kind of stepped back a little. Yeah. And so that's what I think Hicks might have, uh, uh, might have been like if he had, unfortunately, we'll never know. But let's hear Letterman. So Letterman brought out uh, Bill Hicks's mom to apologize. This is, um, I think, 25 years after uh, Hicks had passed. So you might say, you know, too little too late, Dave, but <laughs> yeah, he, he brought his mother out to uh, talk about this years yeah. later. You might say that uh, they were in a meeting and they're like, Dave, we only have enough material for four shows this week. <laughs> uh, yeah. Let me, all right, let me drag Hicks out of his grave. And <laughs> if I haven't previously just apologize uh, for the heartache and, and sadness that the, my decision caused you and your family. And of course, uh, made all the worse by the uh, knowledge that uh, at the time Bill, Bill was uh, terribly, terribly sick. And then not, not many people knew that, did they? Very few. Very few. Yeah. And I appreciate you saying that. Uh, yeah, but it doesn't really do much. So uh, I know he, he threw it away. He threw it away in that interview. He kind of gave it away. Is it worth playing the clip? that is in question again, just so we have like in context, how the joke played the, like you want me to play the joke? Yeah. Yeah. Why not? All right. I mean, people, I, I, like I never seen it before this. So you know. yeah, it's just good to see how the crowd reacts, even though he kind of explained it earlier. People annoy me. You know, what's really annoying me. These pro-life people, you ever look at their faces? I'm pro-life. <laughs> Why don't they look at, they just exude joie de vie, you know? You see them trying to go to an orphanage and adopt a kid. We're pro-life. We're here to adopt. <laughs> Kids are just, oh, don't pick me. Oh, no. <laughs> I'll eat gruel, 15 to a bed, no problem. Just uh, keep Heather's two mommies coming, and we're fine in here. I'm pro-life. You know, if you're really pro-life, do me a favor. Don't lock arms and block med clinics, okay? If you're so pro-life, do me a favor. Lock arms and block cemeteries, okay? <laughs> Let's see how committed you are to this idea. <laughs> she can't come in. She was 98, she was hit by a bus. There's options. It's a, fu- it's a funny premise. And you know what's funny about time also is that like it would be way more brave or dangerous now to come out and be anti-abortion. <laughs> oh, yeah. Whereas 30 years ago, it was the edgy thing to be pro-abortion. Like, Hicks literally got kicked off television. They didn't air this entire set, by the way. They didn't. It's not that just yeah. that they edited out that joke. Yeah, they wiped them off the show. They wiped them completely. And I think at that time, it was maybe the only set to get completely scrubbed from Letterman for sure. Yeah. So he was saying in that interview, he was like, it's kind of like a badge of honor almost. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that's the interesting thing. uh, Thing there is too, like you heard him say earlier, like, well, I was part of Letterman's audience. So you're saying it's not suitable for me. And you hear there, the audience is laughing. There weren't groans. There wasn't this shock and awe. And sometimes you'll, you'll hear that a lot. You know what I mean? Which sometimes that's good. You want to hear, um, you know, people react unfavorably to meet your material sometimes. Right. But in this case, like they seem to enjoy it. So essentially what the, you know, executives at, at CBS were doing was blaming the people in that audience. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, don't put that on me. 
you know, I laughed at the joke. Don't say it's not suitable for me. It's not suitable for you. You didn't like it. I get to Hicks's point because of the advertising. Well, maybe so at the end of the day, what we if, blame. What if they didn't like it? And because they did this whole thing with his mom, they changed the audience noise. So it wasn't like, oh, like <laughs> after this whole presentation. Well, that would really be spitting on Hicks's grave. Yeah. Because if there were groans, he would want that in there. That's true. But uh, I lost my train of thought now. Um, the, eh, well, who knows? It'll come to me later, I'm sure. And this Letterman dresses it one more time after that, right? Yeah, he re- it's recapping. Let's hear it. Just great. He looks, he looks tremendous, and uh, uh, I've, uh, I've not seen that videotape or any part of it since that night. And uh, seeing it now, it raises the question, what was the matter with me? What was I thinking? That was just tremendous. He, he, if anything... says a great deal about me. It says more about me as a guy than it says about Bill because there was absolutely nothing wrong with it. Just just perfect. And the fact that uh, and, and I expected it to be somewhat dated being that old. Man, it's not. It's just great. He, in, in fact, I guess this speaks to the uh, uh, suggestion that he was way ahead of his time. Uh, so I think you can kind of shit on Letterman for that, but I do think there is an element of him taking the bullet for CBS there yeah. and being a good company man. Because Say what you want, but the, the little I know about Letterman, I I doubt he was so outraged at that joke that he said, get rid of the whole set. I yeah. think that was a CBS thing, more than a Dave thing. So I think he's kind of taking the, the bullet there, being the bigger man and apologizing. But there's something to be said for, like, you know, judge how much you respect it on your own. But the reason guys like Letterman and Leno and Carson are able to be in show business for 20, 30 years is because they know how to play the game. And, you know, the reason guys like Bill Hicks was on the, on the fringes of entertainment is because he had no interest in playing the game. And I think the best example of that is our next clip. Yes. The Leno one. So this is, I mean, he had a reason to have a gripe with Letterman. This is just a visceral hatred of, of a, a, a concept of a human being. He just hates what Jay represents. <laughs> <laughs> and boy, do you really hear it here. Oh, yeah. I'm kind of bummed because I'm missing right now, even as we speak, uh, my favorite cultural train wreck, The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. <laughs> I'm like a rubbernecker, man. Every night it's the crash of fucking metal when that show starts. <laughs> Me and my friends have a little office pool wondering exactly which episode and which guest is going to be on the night Jay finally puts a 9 millimeter in his mouth <laughs> and blows his Dorito shilling head off his fucking body. <laughs> I think it's going to be Joey Lawrence from the show Blossom. Uh, other of my friends beg to differ and think Patrick Duffy, a more likely culprit. So, hi everyone. Welcome to the show. Tonight we have Joey Lawrence. Hi Joey, how are you? It's good to see you again. Boy, it was always my comedic dream to be 44 years old and interviewing a little Tony Danza wannabe every three months. Boy, I'm fully I'm fulfilled as a human spiritually. <laughs> it's, it's so much in there makes me laugh but it's funny to be like uh, n- to not just say Tony Danza to say a Tony Danza wannabe <laughs> someone who didn't make it to being to, to Tony Danza right. is who he's interviewing right. <laughs> but that is like that's visceral hatred and he throws in uh, Dorito shilling he called him uh, Dorito shilling whatever he said and uh, I heard so Leno addressed this in an interview years later and I, he's, he, Leno was in a Doritos commercial, essentially, is what that's about. Mm-hmm. And he said that Bill Hicks would like bitch about this to him, be like, How can you do? You're so corporate. How can you do? And um, he complained. Oh, this is the story. I'm sorry. He went to Jay first and wanted to do that set that he did on Letterman. And this is how Leno tells the story. He basically said, uh, Bill, you're not, that's not going to get on TV. It's not me. That's just not going to get on TV. And he was like, oh, fuck you. You're corporate now, blah, blah, blah. And so he went to Letterman and Letterman had him on. And of course, as we know now, they scrubbed the whole set. And so Jay was like, yeah, basically he looked at me as commercial in Hollywood and he didn't like that I was doing Doritos commercials. Um, And in his mind, I 
I changed because of that. That mean that meant I had changed. Um, he was just right. <laughs> he, well, he was right. If that if that's how it played out, yes. But I think Hicks's point would be like, "Hey, man, you used to be. You came up with it. You should be fighting for us." You know what I mean? Like you have that job, so you should be on my side. You shouldn't be telling me that it's not going to go on. You should be telling them it is going to go on. You know? Right. Yeah. Um, so I think that's how Bill Hicks looked at it. And I respect the way Bill Hicks looked at it more than the way Jay looked at it. But I also have more of an understanding of the way Jay looked at it, you know? Yeah. Um, and again, like I said, it's the reason Jay is, you know, a multimillionaire and has a car as a garage full of vintage cars is because he would say like, yeah, that's not going to get on TV. You know, sorry. Vintage cars attacked him though. They almost got him. Yeah, Bill Hicks almost got his revenge. He lives on. <laughs> yeah, he haunts. He haunts like an old El Camino in there. Yeah, and then Leno, of course, when I heard him explaining it, threw in. He's like, you know, I like to think we were friends when he died, and I was like, no, I don't think so. Based on that clip, I don't think so. Yeah, he said he can't wait for you to like blow your head off, put a gun in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, oh, and that's the other thing about Hicks is like that rant that you just heard. It's pretty ballsy for a, let's say, 30-year-old guy to be going up against The Tonight Show. <laughs> it was still very hot. Yeah, you know, a guy who's playing clubs that probably really needs to promote those dates to go after uh, the you know the biggest franchise and kind of the kingmaker of comedy. Uh, I know Leno didn't carry the same weight as Carson, obviously, but that's what the Tonight Show was known as. Is like, hey, if you're on the Tonight Show, you've made it as a comedian. And Bill Hicks is just saying, go fuck yourselves. Right. Well, even when when Leno took uh, when Leno started doing his late night show, he the comics still made it. Then it the rest the of the 90s show for was, sure. Yeah, yeah. It, early nineties. It was still pretty, pretty effective. Had some cachet. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, I just came away respecting Hicks a lot more than I ever knew. Uh, like I said earlier, he was probably our most requested uh, subject. No matter what. Anytime you, even if yeah, you did. Yeah, I would throw it, hey, looking for some ideas or yeah. you guys want to see. Bill Hicks, Bill Hicks, Bill Hicks. Even if not, even if you just post an episode, someone be like, when's the episode of Bill when, Hicks? When are you doing Bill Hicks? Yeah. yeah. Here it is. So, yeah. So here, it, I hope, I hope uh, we did him justice. We have a little more to get to, uh, but I do did want to just say, if you guys have any ideas, I have a master list, um, which at the beginning of this podcast, when people would suggest things, I'd be like, oh yeah, I'll remember that. That's no problem. We'll get to that eventually. And I'm sure I've forgotten a bunch of them. So Resend. if you've ever suggested anything to me, feel free uh, reach out on Twitter or message me on Patreon and uh, I will add it to uh, the master list as we, we have a bunch to get to still, but if you guys have any ideas, uh, feel free to throw them out there. Um, so I think we're ending uh, with Leary, right? Two more. Oh, we've, all right. Well, we're yeah. obviously going to get to Dennis Leary. I didn't want to do too much of it. Cause I feel like we did it in the joke stealing episode. It was half the episode. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, what's um headburn. What's this one? Oh, this is, this is just a funny clip of uh, Hedberg. I, I just found it funny him talking about uh, the final days of, of um, Bill Hicks. Would you continue to work if you knew you were on your last legs? Would you sit down and start hammering out jokes? That's or? a good question. That's what uh, Bill Hicks did. You remember Bill Hicks? Yes. Oh, he was a genius. Yeah. He, and on his last six months, he was on a rampage, man. He wanted to get all, all that stuff out there because he had a lot of uh, conspiracy theories, too, that he wanted to release. I think he was one of the first guys. Uh, what was that place down in Texas where they had the, the uh, Koresh? Waco. Waco. He was one of the first guys to talk about the fact that maybe the tanks from the government were firebombing the place. So he was like hellbent on getting that stuff out. Me, personally, I talk about bananas and stuff during my show, so I don't know if I, was, if, I, if I was dying, if I would feel compelled to get that information out. Such brilliant self-awareness. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. Uh, I think he's right, too, by the way. I think he was like one of the first people to call out the government for Waco, Texas. Shout out. Shout out. Um, so, yeah, that that's why. Now, here's the other, here's the thing we haven't really diagnosed with Bill Hicks. Were you alive today? He may have just gone insane. That's true. <laughs> you know? That's true. I think, I think a lot of these conspiracy guys, when it's your true beliefs and it's not a business for you, 
I think you just go down a wormhole where it drives you fucking nuts. You go crazy. <laughs> We'd be like, remember Bill Hicks was funny and now he's just ranting at people on the <laughs> <laughs> on the freeway. Yeah. Yeah. So who knows? Uh, but I, yeah, I, th- I just thought that was a funny um, throwaway by Hedberg. So yeah, we're, we're pretty much done with like the life um, retrospection on, um, on, on Bill Hicks because he didn't do a lot. I mean, he did a, he had a bunch of material out there, but like, that's all he was known for was stand up. He was younger you than know? me when he died. Yeah. Un- unfortunately. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the main thing I think you hear Bill Hicks's name mentioned with now, unfortunately is joke theft and no fault of Bill Hicks, but it might be the most egregious example uh, of all time. Mm-hmm. Like I said, go back and listen to the joke stealing episode. We Great. played a lot more there. Great episode. I love that yeah. one. So, and, and in that episode, like me and Craig have very different philosophies on it. And mine is basically, we've talked about it a bunch, but essentially I don't think joke stealing is nearly as rampant as people call it out for. I think a lot of what people call joke stealing is ultimately parallel thinking or even just forgetting you've heard someone do this material and you having a similar thought. Mm -hmm. Um, But I consider joke stealing uh, like Mencia would be my best example of a joke thief. Oh, second Uh, best. We're we're about to show the best. Yeah. Sorry. Second best (laughs) (laughs) because he would literally sit in the back of the room with a notepad and write down people's jokes and with, with the intention of repurposing them. I look at joke stealing more as when you have real intent you know, real malice. The other things I would say are manslaughter. Met guys like Mencia and Dennis Leary. It's uh, murder one. And I just played one example. Like I said, there's a, a bunch out there. I just figured um, why do the whole thing again? But this is just a quick example of the Leary-Hicks similarities. I'm looking forward to cancer, man. But I don't want that bone cancer or that stomach cancer. I want that throat cancer. That's the best kind. You know why? Because when you get the throat cancer after the first operation, they give you that voice box thing. Know what I'm talking about? The thing that makes the dog like this. That is my big fear in life, doing smoking jokes in my act, you know, then showing up five years from now. Good evening, everybody. <laughs> Remember me? I was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Hicks's was funnier, but there's even down to, we broke it all down, but down to the reference, Yule Brenner and Keith Richards, like the names he uses are the same. The one we just showed was maybe the least egregious of them all. Yes, probably. Uh, The other one were just too long. I figured that was the best clip to play, but the others are so long, Mm -hmm. but at least with like Mencia, he would change the references to have like relevant Mexican subject matter. Right. And he would change the names and things like, like he was smart about his crimes, you know, Mencia was a respectable criminal. You're like, ah, he, the guy, son of a bitch almost got away with it. He tried to get away with it. This dude is the Brian Walsh of comic theft. Yeah. (laughs) And so if you're not familiar with Dennis Leary's no cure for cancer, I've heard like a lot of people will cite that as one of their favorite comedy albums, uh, which is weird because very few people cite Dennis Leary as their favorite comedian, but no cure for cancer gets mentioned in that, you know, elite category. And you wonder, well, why would he only have one album like that? And the answer is because Bill Hicks died. <laughs> um, and at the end of Hicks's life, like him and Dennis Lear were friends, um, you know, and like they came up together in comedy and that's what really hurt Hicks. And he would throw jokes out uh, about Dennis Leary's material. Um, you know, he addressed it pseudo directly. Like he didn't do a full on interview about Dennis Leary stealing his stuff, but he gave answers to things where you were pretty clear his stance on whether or not Dennis Leary ripped him off. But what I would suggest is there's no gray area. Maybe if you heard the joke we just played, you'd be like, "Ah, okay, maybe parallel thinking. There's 4,000 examples (laughs) from no cure for cancer. It's almost a word for word ripoff. It's mind boggling that he got away with that. I mean, he wouldn't have in the age of the internet. 
I'm hoping that that the clip we just played is is us being basically like Elliot and ET dropping Reesey PCs, getting you guys to go look into this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that'll yeah. Mike and Craig are wrong, and then you'll stumble upon a, just a gold mine of information. This is like literally that's the only joke that I I'm like maybe he you know is similar. The rest it's like so the other comics will steal jokes. This was like a whole album theft. He, he was stealing ref the specific references. Yes, which is the to me, the most egregious. Thing. Yes. But yeah, um, if you're a Dennis Leary fan out there, just know you're really a Bill Hicks fan. Just know you're wrong. Yeah. Maybe Bill Hicks talked about one day having a show about firefighters. It'll be on cable. I think it's going to be edgier than a uh, network. <laughs> it's going to be called Rescue Me with an exclamation mark. <laughs> he just, Leary got rid of the exclamation mark. Yeah. <laughs> and no one will notice. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know what? I guess to Leary's credit, he pivoted more towards acting. Yeah. You know, I think he kind of knew uh, without Bill doing his writing, his stand-up days were numbered. <laughs> but uh, again, that just shows you the brilliance of, of Bill Hicks. He had people directly rip him off. Um, he has such great influence in comedy. And that's the main thing I noticed, like not being a Bill Hicks fan when I grew up, but now going back and watching his stand-up, you're like, damn, it's all like, there's a list of guys. I would be like, oh, Bill Hicks was ripping all these guys off if I didn't realize he came first. Right. You know? Exactly. Um, so shout out to Bill Hicks. Rest in peace. But like I said, ultimately, you know, you heard Muriel talk about him. Um, guys mentioning him is overrated. Uh, a lot of guys will also say he's underrated, which in my mind makes him maybe the most perfectly rated guy in comedy. And I think his legacy is exactly what he would have wanted it to be, where there's a lot of people who really respect him and get what he was doing. And there's a lot of people who have no fucking idea who he was yeah, it, and couldn't care less about him. And that seems like the type of guy he was that he would have wanted it that way. So. Like we were talking about the coaching tree earlier. We didn't even bring up Larry. Like, like, oh, yeah. Well, I knew we were getting to it. Yeah, that's the most. Yeah. No, no. Yeah, maybe you probably were like, yeah, we're going to talk about that later. I'm not going to bring it up. I completely spaced it. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Thinking about, I'm like, seriously, who would, uh, who would that be? Yeah. So um, for the next, like I said, for your suggestions, guys, for the next few weeks, I was thinking maybe um, Steve Martin or Mel Brooks go back in time a little further than we've gone the last couple of weeks. Steve Martin. Uh, but we'll see. I love the idea of Steve Martin. And uh, if you want bonus episodes like the Pelican Brief episode that we did, like Joe Matarese part two, um, I'm not sure what the next bonus episode will be. But it will be kind of in the same vein, a more obscure episode like that. Uh, if that interests you, subscribe to the Patreon. And the easiest way to find that is going to blindmike.net. And it's easiest because it's where you can find all the free links as well. If you'd rather just test us out for a while, um, then check us out on Apple, Spotify, YouTube. Um, and by the way, if you're watching on YouTube and want those videos unedited, that's another reason to hop on the Patreon, as well as getting these episodes a week early. So... Nothing but reasons in 2023 for why you laughing fans to get on that Patreon. So act now, people. Come say hi. Yes. And uh, verygoodshow.org if you want to check out Craig's stuff. Go check, listen to Very Good Show and uh, all they've got going on over there. Yeah, so much going on. Uh, what a salesman. All right, guys. <laughs> well, <laughs> we'll talk to you guys next week on Why Are You Laughing?